You know? <clears throat> Sometimes uh, when you're at school and you don't go along with everything that other kids are doing, they can make it so hard, you know? Kids can be mean. Kids can be mean. Sometimes when you're an adult and, and the work environment is toxic, <clears throat> and you go against that kind of spirit and you, you follow Jesus and, and maintain a, a spirit of optimism and hope in the middle of that kind of environment, it's hard. And sometimes people will make it difficult on you, you know? Sometimes when you're in a family environment or somewhere else, it's hard to be a Christian. Because being a Christian means going against the current, you know? It's, 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 it's doing things in a different way because following Jesus is always going to make us countercultural. It's going to make us different, you know? Sometimes it's hard. Peter's listeners were struggling with it. I mean, you pick up all, all these clues in this letter. They were, they were struggling with it. I think they were trying to figure this out, you know, because when they became Christians, it was a little bit different. Now things are changing. It, it wasn't so hard because early on there was this confusion about who exactly Christians were. But now it's, now it's getting out there. These Christians are different. They're, they're, they're different. They worship a different God. They're, they're different. The world wasn't liking that so much. They were, they were making it hard on them. Peter's trying to help them sort through it. He's trying to help us sort through it as, as we try to figure out, okay, here's the world. This is what the world is like. So this is a tough place. As Reggie prayed, it's an unforgiving place. It's a rough place. What do we do? How do we live? How do we act? How do, how do we speak? How do we maintain a presence physically in the work, in the school environment, in social media? What do we do? What do we say? How do we act? Well, 1 Peter 3, Peter is helping us to sort through that. I hope you'll turn there. If you're not there yet, um, scroll down. If you're using a phone or tablet, go down to 1 Peter 3. I'm reading from the ESV. You can feel free to read it from a different translation if you like. But um, that's the one I'm going to be using, the English Standard Version. And it helps us, each, each translation is going to help us to get at the root of what Peter's teaching us. And he tries to help us sort through some of these difficult situations we find ourselves in. 1 Peter 3, I want to read it. And I'll make a couple comments about this, and then we'll get into the meat of the text here. But he says, he asks this question. Peter starts this with a question. He says, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, let's stop there for a second. You know what Peter is saying? And this is going to be generally true. Peter says that it is going to be better for you in the world for you to live a good life. It is going to minimize, it's going to, it's going to minimize difficulty and persecution. If you try to live a good life, if you are kind and compassionate and loving and respectful, then the world generally is going to treat you well. That's what he's saying there. Who's going to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Who's going to harm you? Who's going to make it difficult for you if you live a good life? Now, he's going to say in just a minute, well, some people are, but generally speaking, he's kind of, he's kind of saying here at the beginning of it, this is the best way to live. If you are kind, if you treat people respectfully, you treat people well and treat them with honor and kindness, compassion, and love. Generally speaking, even people who don't follow Jesus Christ are going to treat you well because they appreciate being treated with kindness. I think that's what Peter's saying. Who's going to harm you? Now, it doesn't mean they're not ever because he goes on and he says there are some times where they're going to 
they're going to make it difficult. That's why I started out a minute ago by saying that, because I know it happens. I know it happens to our young people. I know it happens to people in our congregation at work or wherever we are. It, it sometimes is hard being Christians. But generally speaking, it's going to be easier to be a Christian who's living right than it is if we are treating people harshly and unkindly. Now, Peter says about four things. Well, he says more than that. But I'm going to share four things with you as we go through this text together. Verse 14, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Okay, so he begins with a question. It's going to be better for you to live right than it is if you don't. People are going to, generally speaking, they're going to be better with you. They're going to treat you better if you treat them well. That's, that's, the over, you know, that's the kind of the question he starts with. But then he says, but it's not always going to happen. There are going to be people who mistreat you. And so he says, in your, when you're in this environment, you're in this difficult situation, first of all, don't fear them. Don't fear them. You don't have anything to be afraid of. And I'm, uh, Reggie and I didn't talk about this before his prayer. I appreciate his bringing out the story of Daniel, you know, the, the book of Daniel, because that's, I was thinking about that in this, in this text here, because you know they went before the king and... Daniel went before the king, and the other guys went before the king, and, and, and there's this kind of thing where, like, this is a situation in which nearly everybody would be scared to death. He's going to throw us in that fiery furnace. He's going to throw us in the den of lions. He, he's going to do that. He, he very well might do that. But remember their answer was... We're not careful to answer you in this matter. We, we, we're, not, we're not that concerned about how we're going to answer you here. We're not scared of you. That was, the, that was the implication. We're not scared of you, king. You can't really hurt us. Oh, you can kill us, but you can't hurt us. You know, you know you, that's, what they were, that's what they were saying to him. We're not careful about how we answer. This is not that big of a deal to us because maybe they knew ahead of time or they knew the principle of what Jesus would later say. Don't fear those who can hurt your body. You have respect for God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. You have that kind of... You reserve your fear, your respect, your awe, your reverence for God. Don't worry about people. You know, and I, and I know that's easy for me to stand up here and preach, and it's a little bit more difficult to practice that when you're at school or work, when you're in a situation where people can really make your life difficult. But Peter starts out by saying, don't fear what the world is going to do. Let's talk about the church for a minute. Because there's a sense in which, I don't know if you sense this, maybe, maybe I have misread this. But I think sometimes Christians can allow fear to guide how we act. And really, and we talked about this before, but really what the world does and what the media does is it tries to encourage us to be afraid. To be afraid. This comes at us from the left, it comes at us from the right. It doesn't matter. It's, it's coming at us from every angle. And it is, you need to be afraid because there are people out there who are destroying the world. They're destroying our country. They're destroying everything that we love and hold dear. And we, if we're not careful, if we're not really grounded in Christ, if we're not really rooted and grounded in Him, we can find ourselves. I've felt that, haven't you? Like... I spent a little bit of time watching, I don't know, on social media or, or watching 24-7 news coverage or whatever, and I walk away from that thinking, wow, I'll be surprised if, you know, if we're still around a year from now. It's really bad out there. You know, this kind of fearful thing can kind of get in our hearts. 
And I think Peter is speaking to that here. He's saying to the church, look, you don't have anything to be afraid of. You don't have anything ultimately to be afraid of because, because God's in control. He's sovereign. and It doesn't mean we're not wise and aware and, and we need to respond appropriately to what's going on out there. But our hearts don't need to be reigned or controlled by fear. That's not the way of, of, of Christ. You know, it's not, it's not the way. He says, have no fear of them nor be troubled. They can't really hurt you. They can't really do anything to you in an ultimate kind of sense. So don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. When people are making it difficult for you at school or work or in the neighborhood or in your family or whatever, they can't, they can't really hurt you. That's what Peter is getting at. Reminds me of Romans 8. If God is God, if, if God is your sovereign ruler, then who can be against us? That's what Peter's getting at here, I think. Don't worry about it. I know, again, I know that's easy for me to kind of come off kind of cliche or kind of, um, I don't know, trite to, to say something like that because it's really difficult in the moment, but our, our identity is bound up in Christ, and when that is true, the world can do what the world's going to do, but we know how everything's going to turn out in the end. You know, we've read the last chapter, and so we know where the story's going. We know who's going to win this battle, this, who's going to be the victor in the end. So have no fear of them. And this is, this is in contrast to that. This is, this is why. All right? This is why we can do that. This is why we can live and we can see bad stuff going on in the world. We can we cannot be pleased about it. We can be sad about it. But we're not, we're not dominated by fear about it either. This is why. Because, he says, verse 15, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Set apart Jesus Christ as holy. Honor Him, sanctify Him, make sure that He is in the proper place. And, and these two points, these, these go hand in hand. Because you cannot do, number one, if you don't honor this idea here. You can't, you can't be unafraid in the midst of all this stuff out there if you don't have Jesus Christ on the throne of your heart, right? See, see I understand why people are afraid if they don't honor Jesus Christ as Lord. It makes good sense to me. Doesn't it make good sense to you? I understand why people are afraid and scared if they don't know Christ. There's, there are tons of reasons to be afraid of what's going on all around us in the world and in our own society and all this stuff. But these two principles go hand in hand. We can be unafraid no matter what happens out there as long as we honor Christ the Lord as holy. We have made sure that He is our Lord and Savior. Therefore, it frees us to live lives that are un... I don't want to say uninfluenced, because we're influenced, certainly, but we're not dominated by this kind of spirit of fear. So, honor Jesus Christ as Lord. And then he says, then he says this, or he implies this. Live so that they ask. Now, think about this with me for a minute. So we're in this environment, for just a couple of things here. We're not going to be afraid because we honor Christ as Lord. But we're still in this environment of, of hostility. So what do we do? How do we live? Throughout 1 Peter, he has really been, he's really been uh, emphasizing this point. He, has, he said this again and again and again. And, and his principle is, make sure that you live your life consistently with the principles of Christ. That is the most important thing. In fact, I want you to notice something here. This is probably the most famous verse in 1 Peter, I'm guessing. 
verse 15. So let me read it. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared. Here's the famous part of the verse. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. So I think there are two or three things going on here. Notice he says, give an answer. That's part of it. Be prepared to make a defense. Give an answer. He says, number two, do it with gentleness and respect. And then number three is in verse 16, those who revile your good behavior in Christ. And then he says in verse 17, it's better to suffer for doing good. So throughout permeating this text is this principle of living your life so that they ask. You know, when we live the Christian life, you cannot keep it a secret. I know we live in a, an environment now in the, our culture where we are supposed to, our culture tells us we're supposed to keep our faith at home. That, that's something you do at home and at church. You don't bring it to work. You don't bring it to school or whatever. Those are private principles that you hold. Well, that kind of thing is impossible for us. It simply can't happen. Because following Christ is an all-inclusive thing. You know that, right? It's all-inclusive. It is not something you do at home in church and you, 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 uh, you, you, can, you don't take it with you to work or school. It, it just doesn't work that way. It's an all-inclusive thing that affects every aspect of our lives. And Peter here is implying, throughout the letter he's implying, live your life so that people see it. You don't hide it. But rather you live your life. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think he's saying, in fact, I know he's not saying that you go out here and you're just like you're in your face with it. That, that you kind of have this kind of like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it all in your face. Like you, I'm going to smother you with my Christianity. And I, he's not saying that. He's not saying I'm going to just, I'm just going to be so abrasive and, and offensive and all that with non-Christians. That's not the way to win people for Christ. But he's also not saying that we keep this thing a secret. He's saying live your life so that your demeanor and your attitude are such that people know there's something different. So when you're at work, how are people gonna know that you're a Christian? Is it gonna be maybe that when there's all this office gossip that's going on, you don't join in with that. When these off-color jokes are told, you quietly walk away. Or maybe, in certain situations, you speak up and say, we really shouldn't do that. Amen. When you're in the environment where there are people who are their, their number one goal is to get to the top of the heap, top of the pile, you know, climb that ladder, and they'll step on anyone, and they'll compromise any code of ethics to get there. But you have something else you live for. It doesn't define you getting to the top, getting that promotion, getting that raise, getting more money. That doesn't define you. You see, people start to notice that about you. 
when people treat you poorly? Well, how do most people respond when they're treated poorly? I'll tell you one thing. You may get me, but I will get you, and I'll get you better. Right? That's a worldly thing to do, isn't it? That's the way it works, man. That's the way the world works. You, you, man, this kind of comes naturally to us as well. If you hurt me, then I will hurt you back. But you know what? In your work environment, in your school environment, when people see you're being mistreated and you follow the way of the cross. We studied that a few weeks ago. Remember that, 1 Peter 2? And, and actually, Peter talks about it down below as well, starting in verse 18. But, but he says, you know, you follow Jesus who didn't retaliate when he was hurt. He didn't strike back when he was struck. He didn't spit back when they spat on him. Jesus showed us a different way. And when you're at school or work, in your family, in any kind of environment where people are mistreating you and you don't strike back, people notice that. They see in God's people a kind of hope and a kind of optimism. They don't see the same kind of fear. They don't see that same kind of anger. They don't see somebody who's always looking for a fight to get into. They don't see people who are so devastated by bad news and they see the way that you handle cancer or some sort of difficulty, some sort of loss in your family that yes, it hurts and it makes you sad, but it doesn't devastate you. It doesn't, it doesn't cause you to be able to to, to no longer be able to function. Why? Because you have a God who sustains you. And you've got a hope that you're living for, a hope that's not bound up in your job, how it goes, in your relationships, how they go, in your financial situation, in the economy, in your health. People notice that. They notice that. And I envision, and you've been there, I know many of you have been there. People who know you. And they're around you for a period of time. They get curious. Not everybody. Some people don't care. But sometimes people will say, hey, um, probably they'll do it privately. Or they may even make a joke out of it in a public way. But maybe they'll come to you privately and they'll say, and it may not happen, by the way, it may not happen until they're faced with a difficult situation. Maybe they're going through a divorce. They've got a, an unruly uh, kid. They've got a health problem, whatever it is. It may be that time, maybe some other time, but they come to you privately and they'll say something like, you know, I don't know, what, what is it? Um, how, did you, how did you handle that? When that other guy at work was treating you so poorly, and you didn't get him back? How did you do that? How did you, how in the world, where, where did that come from? I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine doing that. How are you able to exist in this kind of environment at school and everybody's talking about everybody else and all this stuff's going on and you, I noticed, you, you didn't participate in it. Where'd that come from? You see, when they ask, when they ask, there are times where we bring it up ourselves. There are these moments God will put them in our, in our lives, these situations, these opportunities where, man, you just got to say something. You got to speak up and say, hey, you know what? I got to say something. I got to say something about my faith because it speaks to this particular situation. But a lot of times it won't be that. It'll be, it'll be the fact that you live a life of hope and a life of compa compassion and love. And in that moment, God may bring this person to a difficult situation in her life, in his life, 
And they remember at that time, wait a second, I remember her, something. She's got something I want. When they ask a reason for the hope that is in you, when they ask, can I encourage, can I encourage our young people for a minute? I don't know, but when you're, when you're young, it's kind of like this, this kind of environment that you're in for several years. I'm not saying it ever goes away completely. There's this, we all live under the pressure to conform. We all live under this pressure to, uh, to, to go along with the way things are. It's especially intense when you're young in a school environment and all this, and all this pressure and social media hadn't helped it a bit. Um, and there's, there's all this stuff going on. I know, you know, you, you guys, you feel this pressure and there's all this stuff going on and, and these, you know, and the various social media outlets and people talking about this and making fun of her and making fun of him because of the way he dresses, the way he acts and all this stuff, all this stuff going on. Can I encourage you? Don't fear those people. They don't have what you've got. See, honor Christ as Lord and let him be holy in your life Live your life with kindness and compassion and love. It doesn't mean it'll be easy. In fact, sometimes people will single you out because you are kind. But Jesus reigns, and he will sustain you, and you will not be put to shame, ultimately, when you do good, you know? It's, live so that they ask. Live so that they ask. Live so that they, so that they notice that something is going on in his life. I need that. I need that. Because, you know, one of the good things about increasing secularism in our country and, and in the world and, and in the West especially, uh, one of the good things about that, as, as people turn to all these false gods, one of the good things about that is many of those people who are turning to these false gods are going to realize those gods promise a lot that they don't offer. And there's going to come a time in their life, lives where maybe they wake up one day, they're flat on their back, knocked down by the world again, and they finally realize, look, this life I've been pursuing, it is not giving me what I want. And they might come to you because they've seen something different in you and say, hey, can you, I don't know what it is, where do you go to church? You go to church? What, what, what is this thing? Live so that they ask. Here is the last thing, all right? Answer gently and respectfully. This is in the latter part of verse 15. You know, the most important thing here is not what you say. I, now, I believe it matters what you say. Peter doesn't put a whole lot of emphasis on that. He puts emphasis on two things, really. Two things throughout this letter. It matters what you say. But that's not the main thing he, he puts here. Two things. Live your life right. And respond with the right attitude. Those are the two things Peter emphasizes more than anything else. The content matters. But Peter's emphasis is the content of your life matters a whole lot more. And the attitude with which you respond to people you disagree with or who disagree with you matters more too. I read this uh, little uh, blurb about Dallas Willard. I don't know if you guys have heard of Dallas Willard. Willard. He died back in 2013. He was a Christian philosopher, professor. He spent, he, he spent his life um, teaching and writing about the spiritual disciplines, about um, being conformed to the image of Christ. He wrote 
the Divine Conspiracy and some other, some other books that have been helpful to so many people through the years. So his emphasis was on spiritual formation, like letting God conform us into the image of Christ. So he was teaching a class at university one day, and there was a student in his class who disagreed with him and responded to Dr. Willard in a way that was very disrespectful. His statement was filled with blatant errors, and he did this in front of the whole class. Dr. Willard, when he let the student finish, and he didn't respond, he said something very simple, I think it was near the end of class, <coughs> and he said very, something very simple like, um, I think that's a good place for us to go ahead and stop class for today, and he dismissed everybody. Somebody went up to him later, one of those other students, and said, Dr. Willard, what in the world? Why didn't you, why did you respond like that? He said so many things that were wrong, and he was so disrespectful. Why didn't, why didn't you respond differently? Why didn't you, you know, straighten him out, essentially? And, and Dr. Willard responded with a very simple statement. His statement was, I am practicing the discipline of not having to have the last word. That was his response. I think that's pretty good. I struggle with that. You? Somebody's wrong, and I know I'm right, and I know they're wrong. Do you struggle with that? The discipline of not having to have the last word. What Willard was getting at was this spirit of responding to people appropriately. Now, there are times, obviously, when it's, it's good to speak up. In fact, it would be wrong not to speak up. I'm, I don't think Willard would have said that it was wrong to speak up. Only that we as Christians need to develop the spirit of not having to win. We don't have to win every argument. We don't have to settle every score. We don't have to correct every error. We don't have to respond to every erroneous Facebook post. <laughs> You'd be spending all your time doing that, wouldn't you? You see, what Peter's saying here is we respond with gentleness and respect. All right, two things about that and we'll be done. Here, here they are. Two words here. Gentleness and respect. The first word, gentleness, responds, it, it refers to the way that you respond. This is your attitude in responding to other people. And so the word, uh, I think some translations put it uh, with meekness or meekly. It's this idea of, man, it's just being kind. It's just being it's just been kind. There's, there's no reason for Christians to be rude. There's no reason for us to treat people badly. There's, there's no reason, even when we disagree vehemently with someone's position, and it is a matter of great importance, there's no reason for us to be rude, ever. You know? Respond gently. Treat the person as a human being. Honor, honor the other person. That's the way Jesus always treated people. He always treated people, no matter, no matter who they were. He treated them with, with respect and honor. He didn't denigrate them. He would respond. Sometimes he would respond passionately. I'm thinking of Matthew 23 to people who were religious hypocrites. But, but Jesus, Jesus was, his, his mode, his pattern of behavior was one of gentleness. The second word is how you're able to respond with gentleness. Because the second word is always used with Peter. It's always used of your attitude toward God. And so... 
this might be a little bit misleading the way I worded this, answered gently and respectfully. I think we need to treat people respectfully, but I don't think that's what Peter's saying with this word here. He's talking about your attitude toward God. He uses this word several times in 1 Peter, and it's always used of, of God. So do it. Here, here's what I think he's saying. You got people who ask you a question. Maybe somebody disagrees with you. Maybe somebody challenges your faith, or maybe they answer out of good curiosity. But you respond. You treat this person gently and kindly and patiently. And you do so out of respect for Jesus. So the way that you treat other people flows out of your attitude toward God. Remember earlier, Peter had said, you set, a, you set Jesus Christ apart as holy. You put Him on the throne of your heart. And that enables you and it gives you the courage and it gives you the patience and the humility to respond gently to people. Because you respect God and you follow Jesus and you want to be like Him, which then enables you to treat people the way Jesus treated people. Do it gently with the people and do it respectfully in the presence of God, knowing that, in fact, Peter goes on in this text and he says, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. It is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Peter is saying, we're doing everything under the watchful eyes of a loving and interested God. And so we engage other people when appropriate, gently, because we want to be respectful and, and reverential toward the God who called us to this kind of behavior, to this kind of engagement with people who don't know Him. If you're not a Christian this morning, we hope that you see in us, God's people at this place, kindness and gentleness and respect. We hope, we, we know we don't always do that. We don't always do it the way that we should, but we hope that generally speaking, you have seen in Christians a gentle and kind spirit. That's what we're called to. And to whatever extent we haven't done that, we are sorry. But we invite you on Jesus' behalf to give your heart to Him. He is beautiful, and He is incredible, and He is awesome. And He wants to save you. And He wants to bring you into fellowship with God the Father. And that fellowship brings about hope and it brings about salvation and it brings about a kind of stability that can endure whatever happens out there. He will give you constancy because He will walk alongside of you. And when He is reigning in your heart, you have a stability that other people don't have. So we invite you to come to Jesus Christ today. Submit to Him in baptism, turning away from whatever your past involves and just embracing a life of fellowship with God's people in, in, in Christ. And we hope that today maybe someone will, will become a Christian. If you've got a question about this, we hope we can, re we can do what Peter's asking us to do, that we'll respond to any question you've got. And uh, we'll t we may not know, we probably don't know all the answers, but we'll try our best to respond gently out of respect for God who's called us. Uh, if we can do anything for you, we hope that you'll let us know. If you need to come today for baptism, come for prayers. We want to serve you however we can. Let's stand and sing this song. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come.